I would like to start this podcast, and I think every podcast in America should be started always with a quotation from Richard Nixon. I mean, come on. Yeah, what can you say? What can you say? But this is a a uh, a great one, I think, uh, and applies to our our times here. And and of course, someone could dismiss it because it was Richard Nixon who said it. But Richard Nixon, to his credit had some shame, which he needed because he behaved badly. But he says here, in a civilized nation, no man can excuse his crime against the person or property of another by claiming that he too has been a victim of injustice. To tolerate that is to invite anarchy. That was in Reader's Digest in 1967. You know, it's interesting because I remember my parents talking about things, talking about the concept of it's society's fault. It's not the kid's fault. It's not, you know, and um, and and, you know, my parents were conservative, but not uh, you know pretty libertarian in in many ways. And and so it wasn't like they always, you know, they had this idea that, the, you know, Whatever the authorities say is always right. That was certainly not the not the vibe, um, but uh, but but I think we we run into that same thing today, where we see people who want to want to explain away bad behavior, and and there's nothing about a bad situation that you know bad, irresponsible, destructive, you know, self indulgent behavior makes better. So. Anyway, I thought that was interesting because we we don't often quote Mr. Nixon. That may be the first time I put him up as a thought of the day. It was a good one. I have to go through uh, various subjects and people, you know, sort of on a theme. You know, there's, this week's is kind of all over the map, though. I've gone back to quite a few uh, actors and so forth because we ended on uh, Orson Welles again this week. So I, I yes, I have one other quote. I'm I'm sandbagging and holding back for later in the podcast. This is foreshadowing. But we should mention that uh, this podcast is This Week in Common Sense. It's about your website, thisiscommonsense.org, where you have five days a week uh, commentary on the things that happened. It's Common Sense with Paul Jacob. You've been running it since 1999. And this podcast is most weekends, the last weekend we did not do one. We took the weekend off and and featured uh, the Hong Konger which is a documentary about uh, about Jimmy Lai. So, uh, I mean, obviously people would have loved it, but they would have said, geez, still, we didn't get the podcast. But anyway, um, speaking of uh, kind of that area of the world, Jimmy Lai uh, being the, the former owner of Apple Daily in Hong Kong, former because the Chinese, China, China, China Nazis, the Chinese regime closed it down and has him in prison. Uh, but on Monday, we featured No Laughing Matter, which is, you know, as uh, monstrous evils go, this was a minor little thing. Somebody got fined, you know, a couple million dollars U.S. Uh, but a uh, actor, a uh, comedian in China who goes by the the name House. It's 
Lee Hausai, I think, uh, and I probably mispronounced it, but uh, that's maybe actually he's doing shows in China, so they should be able to pronounce it better than I can. But anyway, he goes by the stage name House, and he had a joke, and he basically just made a play off of something that Xi Jinping has said, uh, a line he used to praise the military, and the comedian turned it, and it was funny. And that was the problem. And it's, it really is just a moment for us to take and, and realize, you know, we're not that far away from a world in which you just don't say what those above you in the social order, enforced hierarchy, uh, if they don't want you to say it, you don't say it. And, and that's where it is in China. Yeah, I mean, being a comedian doesn't seem like much fun there. And of course, I say that in part to, so people will remember that, you know, when we're dealing with China and we're thinking about maybe we can get them to help us with climate change, we need to realize that they're not good people. You know, when Joe Biden said, you know, they're fine folks, you know, he was lying. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's feeble minded. They're not fine folks. And I don't mean the Chinese people. I mean the unfine folks who run the CCP and who run that government and who have a couple genocides going. So one is I say this and we do scripts like this and we talk about this because it's important to keep China in that focus because otherwise you start to think, well, it's just like any other country. Well, no, it's not. But it's also because that's what the United States is headed toward. That's what so many people in government and in media and in powerful positions in our intelligentsia, that's where we're headed to. And so it's really important that we recognize free speech is precious. And there's been, you know, there hasn't been a millennia of free speech on this planet. Um, there's been what, a couple hundred years? And even yeah. here, we've had we've had our troubles with it. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, in America, we have to find other people who don't find, you know, disrespectful humor funny. You know, disrespecting their ideology is the one that now- Right. Coming. And I just remembered my favorite, old time favorite uh, feminist joke which was, how many feminists does it take to screw in a light bulb? And the answer is, that's not funny. <laughs> that is a little bit funny. It's millions of dollars. The company, and he's been pretty much let go by the company, and, and you know, go read it, no laughing matter, but he's let go by the company. He's blocked from social media. He's a complete outcast. But behind all of that, Two million dollars U.S. If you make the translation, that's how much they got fined, and uh, it's you know, it's it it's China, yeah. It's it's what a totalitarian society is like, and it could happen here because you hear the rumblings of it all the time, all the way during during COVID. There was a, I mean, we had censorship in America. Yes. So, well, think about. It. Think about people all the time here, Citizens United. And of course, 
it's almost always the left complaining about the decision the Supreme Court made in Citizens United and bitching and moaning about corporations and speech and so on. But that court case is the court saying after the fact, after the movie that the group Citizens United had produced was effectively censored. They could not advertise for the movie because the FEC said, no, that's against the law. And uh, and the Supreme Court came back and said, no, you can't do that. But they did it. But we did have the movie censored in America. And that's, that's you know, it's, it's like uh, so many different things. You, you know, it's one thing if you have laws and every once in a while they're crossing a line and then, boy, they're held accountable. You don't expect everything's going to be perfect. But we have people crossing big lines all the time. And in the case of Citizens United, the court eventually slapped it down. But after the fact, and so often they're not slapping it down. I can't remember which uh, uh, commentary this week. I think it was, uh, uh, I was about to say that, and that was last week, but uh, but someone raised the point and nothing's going to be done about it. And that is true about so much of, you know, so much of politics, you've got law and you've got different things, but you've got people and their perceptions matter a whole lot. And the more there's pushback on things, the more those things don't get, clamp down in the way that they otherwise would. And so you 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 want all that feedback and you want people to be saying, now, wait a second, they can't do that. That's the sort of thing that someone who thinks they have a, a right to their own life would say. The, well, there's nothing you can do about it is what people say in totalitarian regimes where they don't want to upset themselves by the fact that they don't have a prayer of changing anything. Although, you know, sometimes those regimes get changed too. So maybe there is a prayer. Anyway, um, it's, it's our, you know, it's funny because we're so far away now from World War II and the specter of totalitarianism. But the, the most important book in my life uh, was 1984. And just because, and I think partly because I read it as a as a kind of a young teenager, and uh, and it didn't end happily. It wasn't didn't all wrap up nicely, and it it kind of lifted the curtain on the ugliness of the world, and on the fact that totalitarianism hadn't gone anywhere, that that specter was everywhere, and that's really the lesson I think of of Orwell. And, and, you know, here we are today, and we've got, we not only have what I would say is the marsh of totalitarian regimes, they're largely being kind of pushed back against some now by regimes that are democracies, but that have, have fallen into completely totalitarian thinking. And, and so anyway, that's, uh, we, we deal with that subject a lot because it's kind of darn important. Do you want to skip to Wednesdays, which was also about totalitarianism, but in America, that is hollowed out America? Do you want to? Go yes, why not? And that was the uh, oh, you're good because 
uh, not so free had this comment at the end. And as usual, no one will be held accountable. Sad fact. And and what uh, Wednesdays was, Hollowed Out America is the title, uh, was about the Title 42 case. It's Arizona versus uh, Mayorkas, the, the uh, border border guy. And, um, uh, and basically, this is not so much about that case. It's an interesting case. But this was Neil Gorsuch going on something, I guess, of a rant in... Uh, in judges, uh, and and just saying that you know we we've had a couple of years of government run amok, grabbing powers they had no authority for whatsoever, and doing outrageous things. And uh, we point out a few of them, uh, you know, closing churches but not cas casinos. You know, as if somehow the, you know, and, and we ran the piece, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it was about, I believe, a Mississippi church where in the early days of the pandemic, they had said they couldn't have services and they were driving to the church, sitting in their cars and listening on their radios to the preacher altogether perfectly distanced in every way medically that you would want them to be, but still finding a way to worship their God in the way they chose. Just, it's like American ingenuity. They got the police came and were making them roll down the window so they could hand them COVID, basically. So he would like to, he would like to infect you with COVID and this uh, penalty. You know, the only the only problem with the whole thing was the police handing them a uh, a ticket for for a public gathering. It's uh, boy Andy Griffith, <laughs> Sheriff Taylor, and Mayberry. He never did that. I know that. Do we follow the theme further on in the week? I don't think we do. Well, we had uh, a, an apocalypse in California. That's a little something different. It is craziness in government so if you if if that's a theme then there there we go <laughs> well yeah that's it that's every day though tim Let, let's jump back to survival requirements and and this is basically uh the environmental protection agency trying to force us all onto power grids that are that are fueled by power that isn't very reliable and uh, we have some interesting comments on this piece. Uh, uh, and I, I, I love what John Brennan had to say. And I invite you to read this piece because um, it, you can't explain it. I kind of talk about a roof and, and, and so on. But I think you might enjoy it if you read it. I don't think you'll enjoy it so much if I, if I tell you about it. But we all want to survive. That's part of the world. And... You know, you got to let people survive and get out of their way. And in this country at this time, we seem to be trying to do everything we can to make it hard for people to survive. And then by golly, we can't understand why there's, a, you know, where there's a wealth gap or there's some people are falling behind. People can't afford to live in this world. Uh, but anyway, uh, John Brennan has this to say. It is amazing what happens when people are not in an existential battle for theirs and their family's survival, 
they quickly come to believe survival is not an issue for themselves and all others. And they're making impractical and, and tested methods of survival mandatory will not be existential for anyone. And in essence, it, it, it is true that I, I, think, I think he's spot on that people have a tendency to just think they can raise all the bars. We've talked about it. I don't know if I've ever done a script on this, actually, but we've talked about it several times on, on uh, podcasts. So many different things from refrigerators to cars where we're ratcheting up the tech and mandating it. And, and it's good in a lot of different ways. And by that, I mean, it's good if you can afford it. If you can't afford it, all of a sudden, it's very bad. And, and so, you know, when we talk about uh, a wealth gap and so on, part of it is driven by those sorts of decisions. And, and someone could reasonably say, well, we still might have to do some of that. But you would take into account the fact that this is would have a tendency to harm poor people. Now, of course, the, the totalitarian leftist would say, well, we'll just take from this person and we'll do this and we'll do this. But what sometimes you have to do is allow progress to happen all by itself. And all by itself is going to be a zillion different people with inputs into it. But it's not going to be someone at the top, some czar, deciding what's going to happen. That's the slow way to progress. It seems faster, but, but there's so many dead ends. So anyway, that's kind of survival requirements. I guess Apocalypse California is, uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's, it, it kind of works in so many different ways because California is such a mess these days. But this particular mess uh, not, not that it's not all of their own creating, but uh, this is a mess for, for Governor Newsom. This is a mess for the Democratic Party. And I point out in this piece that they have, you know, they've made their own bed with all the victimization. And, and uh, it was Governor Newsom who signed into law a couple of years ago, this reparations committee that's got together July 4th, they're going to come out with their final recommendations and so on. But it already looks like they're talking about $800 billion in, in rep reparations. The reparations are not tied to slavery. Uh, they are in some small part, but they're also, uh, if you're a Black Californian, you wouldn't have had to have had relatives somewhere back who were slaves. You would you would be able to do it just by the modern day harms that you have had to live with, and of course once you go there, haven't we all had some modern day harms that we've had to live with? That's not just one race. You you need to go all the way, and 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 aren't there some harms that only you know uh, certain people in certain parts of the country they haven't had weather as nice? Shouldn't they get you know? It's uh, it it is a it's the sort of concept that you you could never even spend a second thinking about it unless you believe that we really should be able to just create a world of fiat that we here here's what we're what it's going to be and everyone believe this way and do this and we're going to somehow manage it 
to where everything's perfectly fair. And you know, I mean, it, it's, it is, it, it's literally more than twice a state budget. And yet there's no, there's no sensible rules. And of course I happen to believe, and I think this is not just my belief, but it's valid under law that any person today could sue any other person and if they can prove that that person has money property other things of value that rightfully belong to that other person um you know some of these colleges like uh georgetown university in in washington dc that's had buildings that were built by slaves and so on and they've been trying to do things to provide some reparations. And that's that that that's great, bully for them. But part of the reason they're doing that is because you you might not just be able to decide on your own. Someone may take you to court and actually make you pay some of that that stuff. That's a totally different concept than that we should just tax people today who had nothing to do with it. I mean, most of my family and going back generations and generations were not in America at that time. Um, and, and ones who were, you know, there was nobody owned slaves. And, and so it's you. And then of course you also run into the situation because I have family members who are, who are, we aren't all white. And, uh, and so what do you do? Does the does the white part pay the the black part? Does it? And and you know this is it's it's so ugly and stupid, and of course it's not coming. I think from from you know most of the people I see on television who are political who happen to be black do not favor this, and uh, I think of folks like Harold Ford. I I think of of uh, Woodson the you know, the, the, uh, he may be a billionaire, but multimillionaire. Um, and just pointing out that this, it, it's not going to lead to anything good. And of course it's, and, and we did a piece, I guess this, this, uh, uh, here where it also is not the end. The, the commission and the people talking about this, if, you're a black Californian and you get $1.2 million for all these different wrongs. That's not it. That doesn't cover it. That's just a down payment. And it's like, it's like, wow, that's a lot of wrong. Um, so it, this is, and, and what's, what's the end result? The end result is to separate, to frustrate, to, to make people think the world has gone crazy. Well, if they put that in, that is going crazy. The world hasn't gone crazy. It's just the leadership, just our, just our political leadership. And those on the make people who are pushing this kind of nonsense. I mean, they're crazy. Uh, but they're greedy. Yes. They're greedy crazy. They may be crazy like a fox in some weird way. They're sort of the foot soldiers or the, you know, they're the, they're the, um, oh, what's that? The March of the Wooden Soldiers, the, uh, uh, you know the old Laurel and Hardy thing. They're the they're the kind of they're the soldiers that the that the elite winds up oh, to go. Sure, uh, sure, sure. You know my biggest problem with a lot of this is 
especially with regarding African Americans in America. I mean, there's a, there's a, a really interesting problem is that there was a general improvement, you know, a raising of the, their uh, levels of wealth in the United States, and then and then came the welfare state in the '60s, the, the big welfare state, the the, the one with Medicare, but mainly with uh, you know aid to family with dependent children and things like that. And this was pushed, especially on African Americans. They were the first population that was really pushed to, and it was pushed very strongly by people who believed in the Cloward Piven strategy. What strategy? The Cloward Piven strategy, which is the you know two academics came up with this idea that the thing to do would be to uh, push welfare state spending to the breaking point so that the system breaks and that we have to usher in socialism. I mean, that was literally their 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 plan. And what had happened to the African-American community is that a huge chunk of it, like about half of it, went into dysfunction with the rise of uh, broken homes. And it's not the whole uh, African-American uh, family structure was broken, but about half of it. So that now we're at over 70% uh, of births are out of wedlock. Right. And this is the main driver of poverty in America, or almost anywhere usually, is uh, young women having babies out of wedlock. And there are families, right. of course, that right. can handle it, but it that they just overall it doesn't lead to a lot of uh, wealth creation, and it leads to dysfunctionality and leads to criminality, and especially uh, you know when you look at a uh, academic outcomes. Yeah. Um, you know you you. It's not hard to see why Asian families, those kids are doing better in school. Uh, that's the one place where you haven't seen a huge jump in out-of-wedlock births. Because I always point out to people um, when I think it was Moynihan in the 60s made some comment about, you know, the, the large number. Yeah, and but, but out-of-wedlock births in the Black community have tripled. And, and in that same in that same time period, out of wedlock births in the white community have gone up fivefold. That's more. <laughs> That's instead of three times, gone up five times. And so it's and and of course it's still lower, but it's it's the sort of thing that I think I think we we love to compartmentalize stuff and and when it comes to these issues of fatherlessness and that sort of thing, it's you know. It, it, it is it it's across all demographic groups. It's not like that doesn't matter in some and it matters in others. It matters across the board. And and when you look at, I think, the difference in academic achievement by race, and then you look at the fatherlessness, the broken homes by race, you see it's boy, wow, it's the same. It's the races with with intact families who are doing better in school. And my point is merely that the real harm that African-Americans have experienced have come from being given too much and in the wrong way. That is, what the reparations they should be demanding is for the reparations they've been given. That is, the reparations they should be demanding, the recompense, is for the freebies they've already got. And this is this makes it a kind of an ironic situation, is that, yeah, I've, you know, it'd be great to recompense all the evils of the world, but what if the evils the greatest evil has been past attempts of doing that. Although in some ways they haven't been attempts at doing that. I mean, they have and they haven't. I mean, you could look at it different ways. 
and the problem is they were given too much money. Is that that's the problem? The truth is, giving people money has never been a successful strategy. I mean, the parents run into problems if they if they end up giving too much to their kids, even if they have it. It's it you know it's just that's never the the right way to do it. It seems I find it to be a, a ridiculous idea uh, that that this that this could possibly succeed. It won't. For one, you can't afford it. You can't. You can't afford it. People would just be moving even faster out of California. Um, but it is. It's. It's. It. It's kind of. It, it almost is like laying a marker that we don't want any sort of racial division to fall away. We. We want to keep a, a fever pitch of that, and and um, now to to shift gears a little bit. Uh, my favorite quote this week was not uh, Richard Nixon. It was actually Robert Kennedy, but not the late Robert Kennedy, the still alive son of the late Robert Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who had this to say, even when you have a president who you know would like to fix the vote or whatever, there is a lot of checks and balances but what happens when the CIA is interfering in elections? There's no checks and balances. That is a real threat to American democracy. This is why uh, Robert Kennedy has probably gotten most of his TV time on Fox and not on MSNBC or CNN or other places. But he is... Um, and, you know, I don't necessarily agree with him on all kinds of things. And it's, it probably his basic philosophy and mine are pretty far apart. Um, but I do think he's a truth teller as he sees it. And uh, and he's not scared. He's not, you know, he, he's not being pushed one way or the other other than his own volition. Um, but this is, it, it's so obviously true. And yet it's it's like blasphemy. And it's blasphemy on the left now, which is kind of funny. I mean, 20, 30, 40 years ago, you couldn't say bad things about the CIA and the FBI if you were on the right. But I guess I guess when you weaponize the CIA and the FBI against the right, all of a sudden they can say bad things about it. And lo and behold, the left seems to like the CIA and the FBI better. Leftists should confront that and i don't think they have yet you know you're, you're there's a lot of honest leftists out there people who are not you know they're not crazy they're, they but they haven't quite come to terms with this fact i mean there are counterexamples like matt taibbi and, and glenn greenwald i mean they have obviously uh confronted this pretty pretty dramatically but most have not seen how partisan the deep state has become and i don't even think that Going into 2016, Donald Trump had any idea how partisan it had become. I think there's a lot of people who don't, and and I kind of I credit you, Tim, um, as being one of the first people I knew who consistently made the point: the media and the deep state are not, you know, separate groups that every once in a while meet to talk at some interview they are intermixed and and part of the same whole and that's that's also that's something glenn greenwald realizes 
And that's something that Taibbi realizes. It's something Tar Tucker Carlson realizes, but, and, and maybe everybody else on TV does too, but they would never say it. Well, that leaves us with only one piece left this week, I think. And it's a little depressing. Is it? It is, I think, just because, because I see, I mean, I think we live in a very scary world and it'd be nice to have someone as president who you weren't afraid is like cognitively impaired and before he was cognitively impaired he was a horrible human being you know i mean joe biden i think i think is a bad soul <laughs> his judgment about uh, the chinese being not bad folks well they're not bad folks any more than he's a bad folk maybe but uh he's i mean it's just it's hard to imagine i think if you had told me 30 years ago, Joe Biden's going to be president. I would have just said, no, that's, that's not possible. And, and, uh, and of course, I think, I think Trump did some amazing things that nobody, but kind of a Trump would probably have done. Um, but I think a lot of people throughout the world have reason to kind of go, how did this guy, you know, how did this happen? And, and then to think that, uh, and part of it happened because there was Hillary Clinton, which was a whole nother nightmare. But you have that, and then you have Biden, Trump, and then the idea that you might have Biden, Trump again. It's just, oh, it, the choices just get worse and worse. And and this piece, we comment about uh, Ron DeSantis, and and he announced, he announced through Twitter, and of course, they had some glitches, and and that was big news, and people were attacking him and so on. But it it just kind of goes to show how silly all this is. We live in very serious times, and we seem to deal with it in a very unserious way. We should mention you're talking about your Friday piece, This Glitch. That's D-Y-S, Glitch. Uh, you probably have to read it to figure out why we have that title. So maybe you should read it. Yes, people should. Go to the website. I know some people in Florida who who would prefer Donald Trump to uh, Ron DeSantis. Oh. Yeah, I know other people in Florida who love DeSantis, but uh, and he's had a pretty successful run there. But I do kind of think, as I mentioned in this piece, that neither Trump or DeSantis has any real ability or inclination to reach anybody outside of kind of the conservative half of the country. And that seems to be sort of the attitude on the other side, too. You know, we can scare enough people with Trump that, you know, we don't have to have somebody who actually can can sound out words and, you know, and make complete sentences. And and I mean, there are days where Biden seems better than others. But but, it, you know, it he is a stand in. It's 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 like the. Peter Sellers, uh, you know, the, what was that? The garden being there. Being, being there. there. That's right. That's right. Gardner. Uh, yes. Uh, but of course he was Chance the Gardener, uh, who was mistaken as Chauncey Gardner. And the media fell in love with him. And the people of America fell in love with him <laughs> because he was so nice. And he said things simply that people could understand. Uh, yeah. and that's, a, that's a great movie. And a book that I understand is good, but I've not read the book. 
Well, we will be back with five more commentaries next week. Okay. Talk to you next week. Thanks, man. Bye. Bye.